podcast my name is brian dickman thanks so much for listening in um been on a bit of a hiatus sorry about that it's been i think the last time we recorded was um, right after the the hiring of will ryan back in the summertime so uh yeah i definitely want to start doing these more uh regularly especially with you know two games on a weekend i think that's that'll be a nice setup to do a podcast once a week to talk about the 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 previous games and the uh, the upcoming games so um, definitely that's my plan anyway so um, be sure to hold me to that uh, anyway lots to talk about Green Bay off to an own four start but brand new season starts this weekend and no better team to get that first win against than UW Milwaukee uh, they're coming to the Crest Center this weekend for games on Saturday and Sunday um, my friend Jim Saro joins me uh, to talk about it all, so let's get right to it. Here's my talk with Jim Saro. Joined now by my co-host, recur- reoccurring guest, contributor, whatever you want to call him. It's my good friend Jim Saro. Jim, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me again, Brian. I definitely like the idea of being called contributor. That way, if things go wrong, I'm not to blame, and if the uh, if it turns out to be a good episode, they say, hey, that guy contributed. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's well said. Uh, we were just talking before we came on. Uh, it's been six months since we last recorded an episode, uh, but it feels like it was actually six years ago, just based on everything that's that's gone on. Uh, a lot has changed, obviously, in the last six months. Um, but it's, it's pretty great to just be able to talk some Green Bay basketball. So let's just get right into it. Um, so I guess right off the top, Jim, you know, what were you, um, expecting from this team this season, just with everything new, you know, new coaching staff, lots of roster turnover. What were your expectations coming into the season, even before these non-conference games? You know, I had put it on Twitter. I had them in the conference rankings. I predicted a sixth place finish for the team and you and I kind of talked a little bit about, um, inside depth like you got a lot of players coming together but you know we we know we have pj pipes who's going to be you know challenging for that all league type player we know we have amari davis you know we have all league guard uh we kind of everybody pretty much assumed josh jefferson was going to be able to contribute at a pretty high level uh given what he had done at illinois state but i was really worried about 
just the inside players where we had no players who had played a division one game and what that would look like and how they would come together. And then contrasting that with the schedule where you had Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Marquette, who some of the better players on their respective teams are big, strong, athletic inside players. And so, you know, as we're sitting here four games into the season, uh, my biggest concern coming into it was how would we do inside and what, and what's that going to look like going forward? And um, as I'm looking at the next 20 games on the calendar, I'm, I'm still, still wondering about that a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, for me, I wasn't expecting a, a total rebuild kind of a season um, just because we, like you mentioned, PJ pipes, Amari Davis coming back. Um Josh Jefferson as well. They did have they have three really good guards um, for a mid major, um, but there are just so many questions. Like you say, eight freshmen on the roster, eleven newcomers, new coach, new system. Uh, the preseason polls mostly had them. I think eighth was the most common number um, out of the twelve teams in the Horizon League. I think CBS had them sixth, but there were some other ones that had them as low as tenth. Um, so, I mean, just kind of interesting to see those kind of predictions. But I'm just curious, Jim, has your expectation level changed at all after the own four starters? It's still kind of, you know, you can't really tell too much just because of the schedule that they did play. No, I, I mean, I'm still feeling very confident about the group that we have as fans uh, to watch going forward. I mean, a, a couple of things that stand out to me. You look at from Minnesota to Wisconsin, the they didn't get better but from wisconsin to eastern illinois or from wisconsin to marquette they got a lot better and they played well and you see guys like uh, japana kellogg he had 11 points in each of the last two games he went from you know like one or two rebounds against minnesota to five against marquette i believe so we're seeing guys make individual strides um you know one thing that i'm thinking about like about expectations and about moving forward. I think everybody kind of had this thought of like, you know, sharing the ball on offense and playing really good uh, defense. And we're seeing the offense make some strides, but defensively there's still ways to go. And I, I was thinking about that and I don't, you know, I haven't asked anybody in the program, but you know, learning plays is kind of, you know, part of that's memorizing and getting used to it, but learning principles of defense, you, you don't memorize a defensive play, you have principles. And so, you know, I think it's going to take a little bit longer for that defense to come together, but I'm expecting like this weekend the offense to look even better than it did against Marquette or Eastern Illinois. Uh, but over the course of the season, seeing their defense and rebounding come together is, uh, you know, kind of what what I'm watching right now. Right. Yeah. You mentioned those those first two games. Uh, we we can kind of go through the the four games a little bit. We don't have to talk about them in depth too much because they are, they already did happen. But um, yeah, the first game three weeks ago against Minnesota fell behind 12, nothing right away. And they were down by 31 at halftime. Um, but I just wrote, I jotted down a couple of positives for me from that game. Um, I liked Paris Taylor making his green Bay debut 10.7 rebounds, um, five offensive rebounds. He was really active on the offensive glass with uh, grabbing those boards and getting putbacks. Um, I also liked how they showed a lot of heart battling back from 33 down to cut it to 10. Um, but kind of like you said, they just got hammered on the glass and gave up 50 points in the paint. So 
just kind of a matchup issue there with Minnesota. Um, but I did see a couple of positives. I don't know if you had any positives to share from that game. I think the biggest positive just within the game, if you think about the first time some of the guys touched the ball, whether it was Kellogg, Jefferson, uh, Jacob, uh, Terrence, I mean, like how many of those guys turned it over the first time they touched the ball? Compare that to the second half when they made their run, like, you know, they had some of that, those, um, you know, kinks iron getting ironed out guys, getting more comfortable, getting the flow. Like at the end of the day, it was a 30 point loss with a spirited comeback in the middle of it. But it was just about that game to me is about just getting better. And from, I mean, you, you couldn't have started any worse, quite frankly. And, but they got <laughs> a lot better. Yeah. The, and then the next game, um, Wisconsin, we don't even really need to talk about that one. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't going to. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say, uh, four first half field goals. They lost by 40. We don't need to talk about that one. Um, but then the next game against Eastern Illinois, that's probably their best, um, you know, kind of a measuring stick kind of game as to, um, you know, teams are going to be facing the next couple of months in the horizon league. Um, Green Bay battled. They lost, ended up losing by two in double overtime. Uh, I should note Eastern Illinois is a pretty solid mid-major team this year. Top 200 in Ken Palm. Um, I also, if you remember, they kicked the crap out of Green Bay last year down at Eastern Illinois. So, um, yeah, kind of a disheartening loss just the way that it ended. Hey, at least our coach didn't get ejected for a couple of phantom technicals this time. So we had that going for us. <laughs> right. You know, the one yeah, thing, I'll say the Eastern game, the thing that stood out there is 76 points in regulation. Like that's, you know, what I was talking about with the idea of learning your defensive principles and getting that going as a team with all these new players and new style and new, new, new. 76 points is probably not going to win you a lot of games. And so they played really great offensively. Uh, still got beat on the glass a little bit by an older, um, bigger, not necessarily taller, but stronger, wider team. Uh, but got to get that, you know, cleaned up the 76 points uh, in regulation. That's just too much if you want to expect to win um, on a regular basis. Yeah. And I was just going to bring up the kind of the end of game situations there. There's a three different <laughs> ones that happened in this game. Uh, the first one was at the end of regulation. So Green Bay has the ball. They call timeout with 13 seconds left in a tie game. And out of the timeout, they kind of settled for, I don't know, I don't know what it was really. It, it kind of reminded me of uh, of last year where the end of game situations were kind of like an ice, you know, just call an ISO for Jaquan McLeod and let him do his thing. Um, Amari Davis ended up shooting a three. It was off the mark. And, you know, Will, Will Ryan mentioned after the game, that was obviously not the look they were uh, looking for. No, so they, they ice ball screens. Um and, you know, they're trying to sit on his left. And, you know, he's so quick and can get to spots. You know, we, he did. He, he, you know, he settled. He knows that. You know, you want to you wanna attack in that situation and try to get downhill, finish at the rim like he had been doing. So, you know, they, that's not the look that we want. And, uh, you know, we'll learn from that. You know, we want to, you know, hey, drive, drive in there. Maybe you can get a foul. Maybe you can get them leaning. Maybe maybe they uh, one of their bigs helps uphill, and then you can drop it to the floor to his man. So yeah, you know, lot lots to learn, you know, in situational stuff. Uh, but no, yeah, we 
we want to get a better look than that. I thought it was really interesting in the post-game comments from Coach Ryan. He had mentioned um, he was setting up the comment. I believe this was a, when he was setting up the comment about he said, hey, they were icing all the ball screens, which means that they're trying to send the player to the baseline. And when you think about that, no ball screen happened. Like they inbounded the ball to Amari and like Josh was kind of standing over on the right side of him a little bit and like cleared out of the way. And then Amari is kind of looking around and just hoisted up a three, like whatever the play was, <laughs> what we saw there, I guarantee you is not what coach Ryan drew up in the huddle. But uh, if you want to set the stage for the uh, you know end of overtime, you know, there is a significantly different looking play. I don't I can't remember what was on the clock. If you have some of that stuff written down, Brian. Uh, yeah, there was just, I mean, when the drive started, I should say, Mario Davis, he did go to the bucket um, with about, I think there was 1.8 left after he made it. Um, but yeah, that was, again, an end of overtime situation. Didn't settle for a jumper, went right to the rack and finished nicely like Amari can with his left hand to tie the game and send it to a second overtime. Well, and there, think about the difference. So that was out of a timeout as well. They're inbounding in front of the Green Bay bench. And you had uh, Terrence Thompson, you know, Amari is starting in the lane. Thompson about at the free throw line. He set a pin down screen for Amari to come up and get the ball and then immediately chased himself into a ball screen and had the defense on their heels. So Amari's got the ball coming full steam with his left hand. Like there's perfect play execution at the end of overtime. Now Amari had to hit a hell of a shot, uh, but that's what big time players do. They make big time plays, but the play call itself got him the ball, got our best player the ball going to his strongest hand, um, you know, and it was all, it all happened pretty quickly. So they couldn't really, uh, the defense didn't adjust to it. And basically it's Amari going straight to the hoop off of a play call out of a timeout. So um, at the end of regulation, you had kind of a disjointed mess. And at the end of overtime, you had a fantastic yet simple, yet fantastic play to get a game tying layup. Yeah. That's what you want. You want your, your best players to have the ball in the, uh, the most crucial situations. That's what they got. And they got it done in that instance and then uh, in the second overtime um obviously a really frustrating way to to lose the game they led by two with less than a minute to play um but they end up giving up an offensive rebound on a missed free throw with about i think it was nine seconds left um eastern illinois puts up a prayer of a shot that gets another offensive rebound and put back as time expires green bay loses 93 91 just a really tough way to lose a game. It would have been nice to uh, to get Will Ryan his first win there at the Crest Center. Yeah, you know, there's two things that kind of stood out to me about the end of that game. Uh, you know, if you rewind right before that play, before Josiah Wallace missed the free throw and then hoisted up that wild shot, and then they got the, the rebound put back. But you go back before that, on the other end, Green Bay was up one and got the ball inbound with like 40 seconds left. And for whatever reason, they, they ran a really great play because – you had Jefferson got a cross screen and then a pin down screen. It looked like, and he came up to the top. He's wide open. He hoist up a three, but there was 15 seconds left on the shot clock. And so I'm not really sure what was going on there. Um, I'm, I'm guessing the play call is designed to make fans like you and I swear at home, but you know, at the end of the day, they got a wide open look that would have ended the game. He just wasn't able to convert it. And then, but you think about not using the extra 15 seconds there and then come down to the other side where Wallace is shooting, you know, free throws and they had all that time to get up a shot and get a rebound. Like it just was bad on bad. And to compound all that, if you rewatch the last play, uh, I think it was Wallace who hosted up the, the wild shot. Cleflin is in there for a rebound 
and you see his right foot slip out from underneath him. And then not only does he fall down, he takes out Terrence Thompson with him. And so it was like a bowling ball cleaning out every rebounder we had. And so it was just what could go wrong did go wrong in the last uh, nine seconds of that game. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Cordero Barkley mentioned on the broadcast that that Jefferson shot is a really good shot if it goes in. And then if it doesn't, obviously, um, then you're questioning it because there is so much time left, but it is what it is. Um, I did. You mentioned Ryan Claflin. He was really impressive in that game. I thought 10 points in 18 minutes. Um, he was in there in, in the crunch time in double overtime. Um, so it, it was, it was good to see him uh, with some positive minutes there. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about guys like Claflin and uh, Lucas uh, Stieber, they, those guys, like they don't fiddle around with the ball. Like, Claflin did a great job in that game of had a, if he had an open look, he shot it. If he did not have an open look, he passed it. And as simple and dumb as that sounds, like some, how many times do you see guys in basketball like stop the ball, survey the situation, and then move? Like you got to keep the ball zipping around, changing the sides, you know, the court, and then that's how you get an opening. And there was one play I can't remember was, where it was, but uh, it led to I believe a pipes three that was pretty big. But it was you know Claflin to to Stever to pipes around the top of the key and like each guy just moved it super quick and got it to the other side of the floor and we got a, a wide open three out of it. Claflin, I, I really liked what he brought in that game, uh, despite you know having uh, his foot slip out from underneath them at the end of. Uh, it. <laughs> so after that game, it was on to Marquette, uh, 82-68 loss. I will say they they covered the spread, so that was good for me on a personal note because I won a six pack of beer from a um, Marquette season ticket holder friend. So. Thank you guys for <laughs> recovering this. Yeah, well, when he sends you a six pack of Natty Light Ice, you maybe won't be thanking him so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, come on, he's a Marquette guy. He can afford better than that. Um, but what were your main takeaways from this game? You know, Green Bay really hung in. You know, I thought pretty well in this game. They they only had five turnovers in the game, which was really impressive. Um, you know, just kind of let Kobe McEwen go off a little bit. But um, other than that, you know, I thought Green Bay played maybe their best game of the season. Um, you know, we'll, what was your opinion after that? Marquette well, Marquette's, game? you know, Marquette's a very talented team. They have two wins over top 10 ranked teams. Now they beat Creighton this week, at, you know, at Creighton, they beat Marquette or they beat right. Wisconsin at the buzzer right before that. So this is not, you know, a bad Marquette team by any means. And, you know, if you look at the size advantage that they have with Dawson Garcia and um, Theo John and Justin Lewis, who had just come off of a really great game against Wisconsin, you know, I'm sitting there a little bit shaking in my shoes wondering, okay, what's going to happen? And I felt like our guys battled pretty hard. But then you had Kobe McEwen, you know, making a lot of shots. And he made some really tough shots too. And so it just ended up, um, you know, they just they just have more talent, but I thought Green Bay played a really good game in that game, and just compared to where they were two weeks before that in Minnesota with 23 turnovers and you know not necessarily a lot of life, or a week before that against Wisconsin in the game that didn't really happen because we're not ever going to talk about it again. Um, yeah, didn't that didn't happen. happen. <laughs> but just think how far they came in a week against really top flight teams, and that that gives me a lot of optimism for when we get going against programs that have a similar level of 
talent and athletic ability and size, uh, which should be basically the rest of the slate here. Yeah, and, and shout out PJ Pipes, um, career high, 22 points in that game. It, I'm glad that game was on national TV because there's some pretty good tweets, uh, you know, just talking about how awesome PJ Pipes, like what kind of, that's an awesome name basically. So um, good good game for him. Hopefully he can keep it going, um, you know, going forward. Um, so, you know, I, I, personally I was hoping to see that progress continue after coming off, you know, two better performances against um, Eastern Illinois and Marquette hoping to see that continue against Northern Iowa this past Saturday, but uh, that game was scrapped due to COVID concerns on the Northern Iowa side. And it was kind of funny. It was initially reported as a false positive, but then they ended up canceling their games with uh, Wisconsin and I think Marshall this week. Um, but so read into that, whatever you'd like, but yeah. And I took a look at the, uh, the game contract for that. It was supposed to be the start of a home and home series. So uh, we'll be interesting to see, if they can rework that deal to, you know, maybe start it up next season instead uh, when there can be fans. Cause I think that'd be a fun road trip to Cedar falls. And more importantly, you get a really good mid-major program coming to play in green Bay. So uh, hopefully they can get that. Yeah, the last two points you made, Brian are spot on to the way that I think about uh, basketball. Like I love going on road trips and uh, I think Cedar falls and no, Cedar Rapids was a, a comedy with the guy from the office. That's pretty funny, but uh uh, you know, going to Cedar Falls probably doesn't strike a lot of people as super exciting, but they've got a great like six to seven thousand seat arena. They've got an amped up crowd that really cares about their program. So that'd be a good road game to go to a good mid-major basketball experience. And then, of course, to get a team like that, you know, in Green Bay would really give the program something to sell. I mean, it, you know, it's going to be few and far between to get the Virginias and Marquettes and Wisconsin's of the world up to Green Bay. So we got to, you know, kind of understand that getting really top flight mid-major games like that at home is, you know, that's where it's at. And those are the kind of games that when you win them, uh, they don't move the needle nationally, but they move the needle in your sphere, so to speak. Like, you know, the kids you're recruiting take notice of that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm disappointed that they didn't get to play that game. Um, but you know, that's to be expected in this year and to only lose one game uh, feels pretty good. And to be heading into conference play here uh, with everybody kind of, to the best of our knowledge, healthy, you know, on the COVID front and healthy in, in other regards, you know, normal wear and tear, that's, that's a good sign for things to come. I agree. Yeah. And that was actually going to be my next question was you're just kind of general takeaways from the first three weeks of the season you know, for me, it's kind of ironic because Link Darner used to always refer to the the non-conference as the preseason. And that that always rubbed me the wrong way because it's like, no, these are regular season games. These count. But in a year like this, where there wasn't exhibition games, there wasn't any, you know, closed door scrimmages or anything like that. This basically was the preseason. So I just thought that was kind of ironic. But, uh, yeah, do you have any other general takeaways from the first three weeks of the season? I mean, they, they played a schedule that was really tough, would have been really tough even if they had an exhibition and a closed-door scrimmage. But, uh, you know, for where they were at coming into that experience, I mean, I just chalk it all up to experience. You, you said it yourself, eight new players or eight freshmen or whatever the number was, like – it, it was hard to have expectations of W's against some of those teams. Just being realistic, the starting lineup. Um, I think that's kind of what most people had uh, jotted down 
you know, what it would probably look like. PJ Pipes, Josh Jefferson, Amari Davis, probably, you know, one of, if not the best guard trio in the Horizon League. And then um, Japan Kellogg and Paris Taylor running out the starting five. It seems like Will Ryan likes to, um, like, that's going to be the starting lineup, you know, un- until it's not, basically. Um, you know, I think maybe there's a chance Terrence Thompson could sneak into there, uh, you know, as the season progresses. But, um, you know, it seemed like, especially the last two games, they're kind of whittling down the rotation a little bit. Um, you know, Lucas Steber coming off the bench as the sixth man, basically when the guards need a breather, who who would have thought that, you know, heading into the season? He's actually been, you know, a really good bright spot for this Phoenix team, I think, just how hard he plays and the little things that he does. Pretty sure he made a reverse layup at a really like important part of that EIU game in overtime or double. double. Yeah, it was double overtime. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. And I yeah. can definitely tell you that, um, you know, I didn't know that that was going to be a thing. Um, you know, in October, I wouldn't have told you that would be a thing, and uh, that's awesome for him. I mean, we see a guy that's his size. You know, he's a pretty big uh, guard. You know, six three, 190 pounds or whatever. He's not the fastest guy out there but he's always guarding the best guard from what i can tell and uh, you know when you see like think of after every fall you know the team huddles up like when he's on the court he's the guy that's talking he's the guy that's kind of leading he's the one that you know directing things a little bit and so uh you're gonna see that guy play until somebody else steps up who has maybe more physical talent and uh, you know says okay i see how you do it and i i you know, can take my tools and put it on top of that. But quite frankly, I'm not sure when we're going to see that. So uh, Stever is doing great things for the program, and and he's perfect in the role that he's playing. And we haven't mentioned this yet, but um, another guy who's it, it sounds like is going to be joining the guard rotation, possibly even this weekend, is Donovan Moore. Um, the NCAA ruled today that any transfer uh, that was waiting for a waiver or was you know, denied a waiver has that uh, they've been granted now. So Donovan Moore will be eligible immediately. And I think that's kind of a big deal. Um, sophomore transfer from Toledo. He, he was a highly recruited kid out of uh, West Bloomfield High School in Michigan. He had 10 Division One offers, including Bradley, Oakland, Detroit, Miami of Ohio, USC. Um, you know, Jim, do you just want to talk? I think you've watched highlights of him more than I have. You know, I think he's a left-handed combo guard, obviously, but just do you think he's the kind of guy that's going to slide into the rotation right away? Well, yes, but I'm also the kind of guy that didn't think Lucas Lucas Stever would be in the rotation, so maybe I'm not the guy to answer, ask on this question. <laughs> However, you know, what I've seen of Donovan, uh, very skilled, tough. Like, you know, he seems like the kind of guy that if there's a loose ball, he's going to be diving on the floor to get it. Like, he just – the little bit I've seen strikes me as a guy who wants to win, is going to play super hard, uh, does a little bit of everything, really good size. Again, another guy who's 6'3", 185 pounds. Like, this is not a guy that's going to get pushed around by other guards. Like, I, I can't look at him and say, oh, that's going to hurt things. I, I can only think that he's going to help things. Um, you know, Now, for him, the biggest issue that we're going to see is now these other guys at least initially, these other guys have kind of gotten the jitters out a little bit. And he barely played at Toledo for whatever reason, hasn't played at all this year. So, you know, think about what, you know, even guys like Josh Jefferson, who've been in college for four years, 
you know, he turned it over two of the first three times he touched the ball, I think, against Minnesota. So what's Donovan going to do against Milwaukee this weekend? Hopefully he's, you know, kind of more um, steady and ready to go. That'd be my only concern about him. Just hasn't had a lot of game action, but I think it's going to be a really great addition for the Phoenix lineup. Yep, I agree. You know, especially because the first four games we've seen that that guard trio, the starting three play, you know, 30 plus minutes per game. So um, maybe maybe more comes and uh, lets them get a little bit more rest, so keep, help them stay fresh longer uh, into the game. Um, one kind of bit of bummer news, uh, Emmanuel Ansong was not among those that was granted immediate eligibility because he's transferring from Division Two to Division One. Uh, he, he followed Will Ryan uh, to Green Bay from Wheeling. Um, you know, you were talking about the rebounding woes. He definitely could have helped in that regard, I think, despite just being 6'4". He's not a huge guy, but he just seems to have a nose for the basketball and the rebounding side of things. So kind of a, a bummer that we're not going to get to see him, at least not yet. Yeah, and I think, you know, not only nose for the ball, but uh, he is a superb athlete and a, a guy that at six four is going to be up grabbing the ball at the rim or above the rim a guy who's going to be you know dunking in games like this is not a guy that's six four you know i'm six two and then you know even in my prime i could barely touch the rim this guy's six four and you know he's getting up there so like uh athletically he's a guy that fits in and from what i understand you know he's really worked to improve his three-point shot which was not a thing for him at wheeling so it's uh definitely a disappointing that the NCAA uh, didn't grant these guys eligibility, but I would guess a lot of that, if I were, you know, just kind of reading the world was that, you know, their, their council was voting on the rules that were put in front of them. I'm guessing nobody made a big enough stink. You know, the, all the people that talk about this stuff and, you know, social media, the Rothsteins and the Goodmans and the, you know, all those guys, none of them were saying grant everybody eligibility. So the rule that came forward was grant D1 transfers eligibility and they did it. And if somebody went back to the rules council and said, grant all of them, they'd probably do that. But that wasn't what was put forward today, at least from what I could read. Um, right. Yep. So that kind of wraps up our, our look at the, the non-conference season so far. Um, just kind of want to take a quick spin around the horizon league, I guess. Um, you know, I went back, I, I did the math green Bay, or excuse me, the horizon league won the unofficial horizon league Mac challenge seven to six. Um, capped off by Wright State whipping preseason Mac favorite Bowling Green. Um, you know, that's pretty noteworthy because if I remember correctly, the Horizon's kind of been getting smoked by the Mac the past couple of years in the head-to-head matchups. So um, I thought I just wanted to mention that one quick, that Horizon League scraped out a win. And uh, Brian, can I pee in your campfire or no? <laughs> uh, you know, the thing is, I, I think it's great that they got – the wins there. The thing that the horizon now needs to take the next step with is that, you know, we didn't get a win. We didn't beat Toledo when we played them uh, as a league. We didn't, we didn't beat Ohio, didn't beat Kent state split with ball state. You know, the wins that the league got were against bottom feeders in Northern Illinois, two against Western Michigan, one against central Michigan, uh, one against ball state, one against Miami of Ohio. So it's like, you know, they got enough, give them credit for getting enough games against the teams you could beat. But when we went up against the top of the Mac, I think we, the only win that the league got was Bowling Green. And uh, so that was a little disappointing to see. So that's kind of like the, hey, we're making progress, but by the same token, like, don't just think, oh, we won seven and six against the MAC. That's a good sign. Like, no, we need to be getting, as a league, 
you know, 10 and three against the Mac and get some of those Ohio Toledo Kent state type wins. Yeah. One of the things I, I jotted down here was Cleveland state absolutely blowing a lead against Toledo. Um, I have them as one of my disappointments, you know, because of that Toledo game, they got absolutely boat raced by Ohio. I think they gave up a 40 to nothing run or something like that. Um, so I have them as a disappointment. I have Oakland as a disappointment, even though, you know, they played a hard schedule, but, um, you know, they they weren't even close in a lot of those games. So um, I have them as a disappointment. I have UIC as a, you know, a pleasant surprise, better than expected. I know you've been high on UIC, but um, those are just kind of my quick Horizon League observations. Yeah, you know, when I look at um... – some of those things, some of the teams that you mentioned, like, cause there's some, we just can't even really talk about, like, you know, Robert Morris played one game against point park. So there's not a whole lot to discuss there. Uh, yeah. Youngstown's played three games, but only one against a D one team in Binghamton. The others were against non D one. So it's kind of like, you know, it's tough to say. And the only thing that really stood out is that Nas Bohanan, you know, like is a stat getting machine, just a, a way better Naz Bohanan yep. than we've seen. And he was really good in the past. He's great now. But, you, you know, you look at Purdue, Fort Wayne, uh, Jared Goffrey got hurt, and they haven't played since, so really don't know anything about them. IUPUI played one game and really didn't play that well against a, kind of a bottom team in Tennessee State. So there's a lot of teams we don't know a lot about yet. Uh, but, like, Oakland 0-7, that's not surprising given the schedule that they played. The frustrating thing, though, is that you know, their strength of schedule in Ken Palm is 10th right now, and their Ken Palm rating is 289. So for the, you know, play good teams is good for your rating crowd, I give you Oakland 2020. And conversely, Wisconsin, or excuse me, Green Bay, uh, is 0-4 with a Ken Palm of 274 right now, a strength of schedule of 19. And so, again, the same thing, like, you know, got playing good teams is good, but you have to be competitive against them. Um, and that's where I was looking at the league. Like I was kind of look. I broke some things down. I said, Hey, what are the best wins that the league has right now? And it's Wright state over Bowling green and probably UIC over Valpo. Otherwise I can't think of any other wins that like really stand out. And, uh, conversely, and I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm just, you know, giving it like I see it, uh, worst losses. I mean, Oakland at Xavier, green Bay at Wisconsin, Cleveland state at Ohio, Oakland at Purdue. I mean, those were some clunkers. Holy cow. Um, and, you know, then the one thing I, I, I feel like we have more moral victories this year, though, as a league. You had Northern Kentucky at Dayton, Milwaukee at Kansas State, Oakland at Michigan, Detroit at Michigan State. Like, there's those are games in the past that we would have probably not done very well in, as a league. So I kind of feel like the league has gotten better, uh, you know, a little bit better, but not like like not enough. Like, you know, only two teams in the top 200 at Ken Palm right now, but none over 300. So it's, it's kind of better, but not really. Yeah, it, I'm looking at Ken Palm right now. The, he's got the Horizon as the 19th ranked league right now out of 32, which I think is an improvement over years past, but obviously still not where we want to be. Yeah, that that does seem like a um, improvement from. I mean, there were some years, and I wasn't. I can't remember if it was RPI or Ken Palm where the league was in the bottom five. So to be in the top 20 is definitely, you know, a good sign. And, and quite frankly, like the high ceiling is what maybe get to 10th, 11th. Like if you know if you look at the pecking order of things. Yeah. The, the Missouri Valley is 11th right now. So that'd probably be. 
Yeah. The best case. Scenario. I mean, because the West Coast Conference, Atlantic 10, uh, you know, those are tough ones. Mountain West. I mean, there's, you know, along with the, the Power Six conferences in basketball, there's the top nine. Um, so, you know, yeah, if you got to 10th, 11th, 12th, that's really about as good as you could hope to get to. And quite frankly, I think where Horizon fans would love to see us, I mean, top 15 would probably be where most fans would say, okay, this is a this is a good league. Because you get in that top 15, now you're starting to look at maybe getting 13 seeds or higher in the NCAA tournament. And now you're starting to win games again, which is what everybody wants to see. If you if you had to ask, the, at least the fans I talked to, what are the two things that they want to see us doing as a league? More than one bid and winning a tournament game. <laughs> yep. I agree. And that's how you do it is getting, you know, back into that top 15 to get a better seed and to get, you know, more winnable games. So with that being said, you know, I thought it would be fun to, to make some predictions. Uh, just curious to see if your horizon league standing predictions have changed at all. You know, like you said, not every, we haven't seen, you know, many games from a lot of teams. So, um, but just curious if, if your standings have changed at all, if you just want to run through, if you have your one through 12. You know, I, I don't have them like exactly on hand, but I had Wright State winning. I think that, you know, Wright State's going to win the, the league. I mean, looking at what we've seen so far, they've only played three games. But, uh, the thing that really stood out to me and kind of what made me think they were going to win was interchangeable parts. Like if you think about Basili and, Love, you've got two big guys that can play together or play independently of each other. You think of, you know, Hall, Holden, Calvin, and uh, I just want Finky or Fink. I mean, there's four more guys. Like, they don't have a ton of guys, but the guys that they rely on are pretty darn good. And, uh, you know, I think that, that I still stand by that. And conversely, you know, at the bottom of the league, I had IUPUI and Purdue Fort Wayne. And we haven't seen enough from them, but what we did see, you know, they, neither one of those teams looked very good going against pretty weak teams. Um, so I, I don't think that that's going to change a little bit. I was high on UIC. I had them number two. I see a team that's super athletic, more athletic than almost everybody else in the league, you know, just long and athletic. Their defense has been okay. I mean, their Kenpom rating is 168 on defense. Their offensive efficiency is atrocious because you've got, uh, TV on Kirk with, you know, low shooting percentage and massive turnover problems. And yet by the same token, he is the straw that stirs their drink. Like that guy gets in the paint and does whatever he wants. Some of it's really good. Some of it not so good, but I still think that they're going to be, you know, pretty competitive. Um, you know, Northern Kentucky, I picked kind of low and they're two, sitting at two and three right now. And, um, you know, they've kind of, struggled to get those two wins like they played tennessee tech and it was a closer game than i think most fans would have expected and what stood out to me about tennessee tech or about northern kentucky when they played tennessee tech you know they played their zone defense and in the like last year with darren horn like that was really active that was really hard to score against they were you know they were just feisty and nasty and i think of like in a zone like the baseline is kind of you know a weak spot in a zone if you can get behind the defense there's lots of layups to be had but that doesn't mean your defense should be so lazy that you can get behind the zone all the time. And Tennessee Tech was just at the rim behind that zone constantly. So it's like those guys need to really ramp up their intensity before I'm going to be sold on Northern Kentucky this year. So um, probably the one team I'm most disappointed by and that I'm a little bit worried about in my predictions, I had Cleveland State third. Uh, you know, After seeing them play, I saw two of their three games. Uh, I'm I'm worried. I'm real worried about Cleveland State. Uh, 
<laughs> I think their rotation is way too big. I think their execution isn't very good. I love everything about Coach Gates and how he's doing it. I love how the team like plays for each other and you know they're amped up and talking and you know they they seem like they're a, a really great like they've got chemistry. But at the end of the day, you got to be able to execute. And a forty nothing run against Ohio is um, not good. It's unfathomable. I don't know, yeah. but you know, one <laughs> thing I do know is that two of the key players for Ohio that just went bananas during that stretch are uh, Justin Preston and, and um, Bennett Vanderplaw. And I'm pretty sure that the coaches that recruited those two guys happened to coach for our favorite team. So, you know, I'm expecting if uh, anybody from the Green Bay Athletic Department is listening to this, I'm expecting nothing, nothing less than a 35-0 run on uh, Cleveland State when we play them. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yeah, I had Cleveland State third, um, but I, I did revise my my uh, predictions a little bit after the after the uh, non conference season. Might be a little bit of an overreaction, but I moved them down to seventh. Um, yeah, I'm like you said, a little worried about them. Uh, where do you have Detroit Mercy? I'm, I've been kind of, um, you know. Yeah, they, I had them ninth or tenth. I can't remember. And obviously, they've you know one and three. Doesn't look that great, but those two losses to Notre Dame and and Michigan State, right. even the Kent State loss, which is Kent State's doing really well this year, um, you know they looked they just looked different. And the thing that stood out to me about them, like just it wasn't actually execution because I mean Antoine Davis is still chucking up shot, he's shooting thirty three percent and like less than fifteen percent on threes, but the difference here is that they've got other guys and they play hard. They don't have many other guys. I mean, they have Matt Johnson and Markel Frazier and, and you know, a couple of the guys that are carryovers from last year. They have Bull Cool. But those guys play uh, balls out. They play really hard. They don't necessarily play very effectively, but they play hard. And uh, I worry about them wearing down because they don't have any depth, but it's definitely a better Detroit team than I was expecting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um how they look now, especially with Noah Waterman uh, becoming eligible. Uh, that'll give them a 6'11 guy to work with. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, but for, for my standings, I had Wright State number one as well. Obviously, I think they're the, the clear number one. Um, I have Youngstown State number two. Uh, they struggle a little bit with uh, with the fighting Hunter Christs of Binghamton over the weekend, but um, they ended up pulling that one out. I've got UIC third. You've talked me into uh, into UIC. I'm a believer now. Um, and then I've got Robert Morris, Northern Kentucky, and Green Bay sixth, just to to round out my top six. Um, so I thought it would be fun to just do like a couple of quick over unders. Just you know, just we we can maybe do a little side bet on it or something down the line, but. Uh, so the first one I wrote down here, um, Green Bay Horizon League games one at eight and a half. Do you think over or under eight and a half? Yeah. So I'm going to go over. Um, you know, I really do think they're going to really start clicking here. So I'm I'm going over on that one. Um, yeah. What about you? I think I'm going to go. Yeah, I'll go over as well um i you know i debated on it but i i think 500 isn't out of the realm of possibility just because they do have 
such good guards and the bottom of the league is pretty bad. So, you know, my big, I was say my thing that I'm really holding out for, Um, I'm going to put some pressure on a player right now, but uh, Japana Kellogg is, is the guy that I'm looking at that I think kind of puts it over the top for them because, you know, he has shown the most consistently. Paris had a really great first game against uh, Minnesota, but maybe hasn't been as good the last three games or hasn't gotten the same amount of minutes. And I just, think that Kellogg is the guy that, you know, if he's doing, I mean, eight to 10 points and four to six rebounds, that's pretty much all we need in the horizon league to kind of just like keep, keep in the game while our guards do the rest of the work. So I'm just, I'm really confident that Kellogg will be developing enough. I mean, he's done some stuff that I think is pretty good and will match up pretty good in the horizon league. Agreed. So I, I don't want to talk about COVID, but uh, one of the over-unders I have here is games that Green Bay will play, you know, in the Horizon League. I have it at 15 and a half. Do you think over or under? Basically, do you think they'll have four games? Well, I think what helps or... them is that they don't have Robert Morris on the schedule anyway, because apparently Robert Morris can't get a game going. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to take... When I think about that, they only got to play eight out of the ten weekends, and they're already the first one's going to go off without a hit. So apparently, so I'm I'm taking, I'm taking the over. I think they're going to get to at least sixteen games on that. That's part of why I picked them to win at least you know nine, because um, I think that they can win, you know nine out of sixteen. So I'm I'm taking the over. What about you, Brian? Um, I'm gonna say over as well. No, I'm gonna go under. Because, you know, if you think about it, if you have a COVID positive case, I think you're supposed to quarantine for like 14 days. So that would be four games right there, probably, if if you have one positive case. So, I mean, it's tough because Green Bay has been pretty fortunate in that regard so far to not. I mean, even as a campus, I don't think there's been an outbreak as as much as we've seen like in the green Bay area or the state of Wisconsin. So, um, yeah, that's tough. I'm going to go under. Yeah. You know, when I think about that, you make a great point. Like the campus environment's been really good. So if there's ever been a recruiting pitch, a time for a recruiting pitch of come to our quiet, sleepy campus, you won't get COVID. Like now's the time to, to drop that. But I, you know, I I love the campus (laughs) there. It was awesome for me. But, um, you know, when, when I really think about this, one thing that I think will help, is just getting to the the rotation of playing Saturday and Sunday or Friday and Saturday. Like, I mean, look at, just look at uh, Youngstown this week. They played Binghamton and then the next day they played West Virginia Tech or whatever that was. And look at, you know, Milwaukee and Detroit played Western Michigan on back-to-back days. Like, I'm no scientist here, but everything that, the world has told me over the last nine months is don't do stuff like that. (laughs) And so just, just get to (laughs) the rhythm of the conference season and hopefully be able to contain, you know, get your guys to, you know, keep in their own little bubbles through their campus life. And I feel like we got a good chance at it, but we got to get off of this, you know, you know, all these people are on different programs and doing different things. I just feel like that's, you know, gonna that would have hurt the ability to get to the over on 15 and a half. And I, I, we're all in agreement. We hope that we see 20. Um, you know, we're not rooting for less. That's for sure. <laughs> right. 
So I have a couple more over-unders. Um, over or under 10.5 made three-pointers for Amari Davis in conference play. He's at two well, I'll right take the over through four. I'll games. take the over on that because the one thing that two he's shown is a willingness to take them. And, you know, two for nine is not fantastic. I think he's probably right. going to be a 33% guy from deep, but he's willing to take enough to get the over on that. I, I'm over all day on that. I think uh, it, it's, it's going to be tight again, but I think it's over. Um, you know, Will Ryan's talked about how they really want him to take those shots. They want him to have confidence taking those shots. Um, he's looked confident taking the shots. You know, it's just probably, you know, going to be a comfortability thing because he barely took any last year, if any. Um, you know, that just wasn't part of his game. So it, it, I will say it's good to see him add that to his game, you know, expand his range a little bit um, just because of the things that that's going to make defenses do. Um, you know, they can't can't sit on him attacking the rim or, or things like that because he's already got a great pull-up uh, mid-range game. He's already got explosive speed to get to the rack. So if he can add that three-point shot consistently, that would just be, you know, a game changer for him. Um, you know, in the last over under I had, this just kind of a fun one over under two and a half technicals for Will Ryan this year. He seems, seems pretty I calm, got, cool, and say, under side. all day on that. Like, I'm there's sure he's gonna... no way uh, I see him getting any yeah. technicals this year. And that's not to say he's not competitive and doesn't want to win. I just think he's a focus forward kind of guy. Uh, you know, I'd love to say that this is probably putting a lot of pressure on him and, you know, but some of the best coaches in basketball are super laid back. Uh, Brad Stevens, as an example, guy is totally laid back, you know, but one of the best coaches in basketball, I think Will Ryan, I'm not saying he's Brad Stevens, but I'm saying he's got that kind of demeanor of like, just next play, let's focus and learn and keep and keep going. So I got the under all day on that. If you ask me PJ Pipes technicals, though, I got the over on two and a half. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. In the first, I, well, I say that games, just because so. kiddingly, like he he ran into Peter Uzanis last year yeah. a couple times and got teed up for some pretty weak stuff. But I can't imagine that that's going to stop because Peter still works. You know, he officiates <laughs> the league, and PJ's still a fierce competitor. So I'd have the over. But uh, yeah, Will, I got the under. What do you say? I thought about it. I think I'm going to take the under too, just because you know he, you're right. He does seem, you know pretty laid back on the sidelines you know especially compared to how Bo was you know constantly riding officials and you know screaming and and uh you know there's plenty of memes on on social media of of uh, angry Bo Ryan so um but yeah Will doesn't seem that you know what I'll give you a fifth uh, over under over under I will take the two and a half for Jared Swanson technicals because I saw him a couple times with the big bug mad eyes during the EIU game like he was a he was into it. Like I really, I saw that. I'm like, oh, I like this guy a lot. <laughs> so uh, you might be able to talk me into a Jared Swanson two and a half over on that technicals. <laughs> That'd be funny. Uh, so yeah, those those are the over unders I had. Um, I guess just to wrap things up here, we got a, a big series coming up this weekend. Uh, UWM comes to town. It's you know, the biggest games of the year, really, if, if you think about it, it's it's the in-state rival. Um, and Green Bay's kind of, you know, 
it's been kind of one-sided rivalry. Uh, I think Green Bay's 14 and five against UWM since 2013. Uh, last year, you know, they split the series last year, each team winning on the road. Uh, that game in Milwaukee was, was an awesome game to be at. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, and this year UWM was picked to finish towards the bottom of the league. Um, you know, Green Bay kind of right in the middle of the pack. So these these two games are going to go a long way towards, you know, trying to separate, you know, the bottom, the middle, you know, trying to stay towards the top of the, of the standings. Um, the other thing I noted, uh, this kind of has off-the-court implications as well, especially with uh, Green Bay putting more emphasis on in-state recruiting. So, um, you know, there's probably going to be some more recruiting battles down the line. You know, you think about Green Bay's 2021 recruiting class, two of the three recruits had an offer from UWM, but ended up choosing Green Bay. Um, I I have no idea why they didn't offer, um, you know, Kamari from from, uh, Racine St. Catharines. Hey, their losses are named. It is what it is. Um, But, yeah, exactly. But, you know, just... Looking at this Milwaukee team, Jim, obviously they're led by a guy you really like, T. John Lucas. Um, you know, what, what are well, your I want to say on one thing about the rivalry on the whole. Like, what's disappointing about this weekend with the rivalry is that, you know, the rivalry has no juice right now. Like, both programs got to really get that back. Like, you know, I know one thing about UWM. I hate UWM. <laughs> In fact, the very first time I met Coach Ryan, I said, hey, you're perfect for our program except for one thing. He said, what's that? I said, you're from UWM. And he laughed at me, and you know, since then he's been tolerant of my, uh, of my humor. But the, I hate UWM, and <laughs> I want these wins. This is a big deal. But it doesn't feel that way from both sides right now. And so I'd love to see the rivalry get that you know, juice going again. I love Tijan Lucas, a you know, multi-talented player. Um, you know, the thing that really stands out though to me about UWM is if I asked you, are they really good at offense or really good at defense? Like what's their calling card? What would you say as a fan watching them? That's a good question. Yeah. I, I mean, say well, that's just it. Offense? Like you'd say, yeah, I guess they're offense, but <laughs> they don't have a calling card. And so when I look at this game, you're not playing a team that's going to outscore you and you're not playing a team that's going to put the clamps on you. So it feels like a very winnable weekend set uh, because you know, UWM is a team that, you know, isn't, doesn't have something that they're hanging their hat on. At least that's what I think of. And, you know, something stood out in that Kansas State game. I've never seen this before, but uh, DeAndre Golston, I think is his name, uh, junior college transfer, big, strong looking guy, really good looking offensive yep. player, kind of guy that, you know, quite frankly, I don't know who from uh, Green Bay matches up with him, but he's guarding the ball in the Kansas State game, you know, out on the you know wing, and he's tugging on his jersey, asking for a sub ball. He's guarding the ball, and of course, the Kansas State guy sees him tugging on his jersey and just blows by him and goes straight to the rack for two. And I thought to myself, <laughs> and then of course they take him out of the game after that. I thought <laughs> I have never seen in watching way too many hours of college basketball a guy asked to come out of the game while guarding the ball and then just get totally smoked to the rim. And so that makes me think that like defense is a thing that they're not worried about at UWM. And so in walk and green Bay's offense is really coming along. So I, I like our chances here. And I also like that. This isn't going to be a team that like Minnesota and Wisconsin and Marquette, where they've got big, big boys on the inside. Uh, that's not the case with UWM. Their size is manageable. I mean, they have good players. CJ Wilburn's a really nice player. 
Amir Allen does some things that you know can be tough to match up with periodically, but this isn't a team that's going to be physically dominant. Uh, so I like the opportunity for Kellogg and Taylor and Terrence Thompson to you know make an impact here. So um, I'm feeling I'm feeling confident. Um, what are you seeing coming into the weekend? Yeah, no, that was good. Uh, a good summary there. You know, you mentioned DeAndre Golston. Um, that was the guy that that Green Bay actually offered. Speaking of recruiting battles, um, I know Link Darner. He's the kind of a, a Link Darner player. Um, so. But I like his game. Uh, he's on my fantasy team. Your first no place deal. fantasy team. Um, it'll be interesting to see how no they big use deal. Lathan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you said you, you didn't have to say that. <laughs> um, it'll be interesting to see how they use Jordan Lathan. Uh, he's an intriguing transfer that is eligible to play now. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I like our chances. Um, if you had to make a prediction, are you going? Yeah. I am. I'm going to go with a two-game sweep here. And I also think Lathan, really nice player, nice background. But, you know, the thing about Lathan's going to be hard for him to make an impact is that Lucas is the man. Lucas is the guy. I used the terminology for TV on Kirk before, a straw that stirs the drink. Lucas is that guy for um, for UWM. And so I'm not sure what Lathan can do off the ball because he's going to be in that spot a lot more. So I definitely I like Green Bay's chances. I think that they're playing pretty well. And, you know, when I look at the numbers for Milwaukee, I don't see anything that makes me think we can't sweep this. I agree. I, th- I think that's well said. So I-, I think I just saw the tip time for Saturday change to one o'clock. Um, we got another set of Panthers coming to Green Bay, <laughs> the Carolina Panthers playing at Lambeau Saturday night. So, um yeah, it should be a, a great weekend of basketball. It's going to be fascinating to see, um, you know, how these back-to-back, the, the college hockey-style schedule, how that's going to play out. Um, you know, just, you know, think about if you lose a game, you got to come back the next day and, and really try and get that win. Or, you know, are you going to – if you win that first game, are you going to kind of, you know, rest easy a little bit and, and get beat in that second game? I just think that's going to be – Really fast. Yeah, I think you know there too. Like laid out, you know, depth could matter because if if fatigue could be a thing, um, coaching experience could matter because they might have an opportunity to make an adjustment on the fly or a lot faster than you know some of the some of the coaches who you know aren't as strong in the league. But at the end of the day, um, you know, all guys that play basketball say they want to win, but not all guys do the things that it takes to win. And I just think that the you know teams that are built of, with winners are going to win. It doesn't matter if they're playing on one day rest or two days rest. Like teams that are built with winners are going to win, and teams that are built with guys that just want to get stats and you know say look at me and put my highlights on Twitter, they're gonna they're not going to win. That's that's how I see it. And so I'm I'm feeling like you know I know other people have said this, but I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of you know, a lot of two game sweeps going on here because there, you know, there's a clear divide between some good teams and bad teams in this league. And in the middle there, um, you know, there, there's some parody, but I just think some teams are built with winners more than some of the other ones. So. Well said, well, I can't wait to watch. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's right around the corner. It's we'll see how many games we get in, but uh Thanks so much, Jim, for, for coming on and talking. Uh, people can hoops. find me Where on Twitter at uh, Jim Sero. It's really the only place that I 
you know, do anything. Although I will say once in a great while, I go on Facebook and like some of the Green Bay things on Facebook. And in particular, I just want to, I don't know if they're going to be doing it this weekend, but in the past they had done some things with their Facebook live that were pretty cool before the game. So if you guys as fans can check that out and, um, you know, I usually like to reshare some of the links with like the press conferences and quotes, make sure that you pay attention to that stuff because the more people that tune into those, that type of content, the more people that or the more frequent will get that type of content. So uh, just make sure we're all doing our part and watching everything we can. But uh, at Jim Sarah on Twitter is my primary spot. Yeah, that's a, a good shout by you. They've been doing a tremendous job of, you know, posting the, the pregame press conferences and the, the postgame press conferences and all kinds of content that, that I know a lot of people have been uh, looking for, including me. So, um, yeah, good, good shout by you. My thanks again to Jim Cerro for joining me. Uh, make, make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's a must-follow, at Jim Cerro. Um, you know, Jim, keep the fleets coming. <laughs> we we love watching those. Um, but, yeah, that'll do it for this episode of the Fear the Phoenix podcast. I want to end with um, something new, a new segment I'm going to try and do. Um, call it the Call of the Week and, you know, I'm either going to post a big play that happened the previous week or maybe on this day in Phoenix history, something like that. So uh, we're going to end this podcast with the ESPN 3 call by Ted Stefaniak and Cordero Barkley of Amari Davis tying the game in overtime, driving to the basket, scoring with less than two seconds left to send the game in a double overtime. Phoenix eventually lost, but... Um, Big play, clutch play, and that is our call of the week, courtesy of ESPN3. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. So here we go. DJ to trigger the inbound. They get it to Davis. So to double OT. Davis into the lane for the tie. Bounces around. Count it. 1.3 seconds remaining. <laughs> Amari Davis battling through a yeah, 50 seconds ago in basketball time, he was sitting out, Euro step. I mean, how about the touch on that shot to send it in the OT? Amari Davis.